Hey, I'm Pastor Dave. Welcome to the Lighthouse. We hope the Lord speaks to you today by his word. God bless. I have to welcome you the way that I always do. I have the same greeting written in every sermon that I've ever said. So good morning, Lighthouse Church family. Good morning. It is once again my privilege to, to stand up here. And, and for those who have not heard, uh, Pastor Dave is away this morning uh, with an exciting speaking opportunity as he's been asked to preach this, the opening weekend, uh, at Church at the Beach in Crystal Beach. Uh, children are dismissed. I'm getting points from Rachel. <laughs> yeah, very exciting opportunity for Pastor Dave, who has been asked to, to preach the opening weekend at Crystal Beach. But, but not only this, uh, Pastor Dave, Dave is also away much of next week. Uh, in fact, he, he won't return in time for our service next Sunday with enough time to both prepare a message and get uh, adequate sleep uh, for a human being to function. So we thought it would be pertinent for me to share the next couple weeks. And so for the first time ever, I have been given the opportunity to share a sermon series. Pretty cool. Pretty exciting. Now I will make uh, note of one important piece of information, uh, is that today is our membership acceptance seminar, or service I should say. Um, and it is within the realm of possibility uh, that Pastor Dave will arrive at our service uh, in a little while. I think he said 1115 uh, in order to be here to, to shake some hands and, and give some hugs and sign some forms for those who are being welcomed into our church family here at Lighthouse. Uh, something he told me he would make every effort to accomplish. Uh, however, another important tidbit to go along with that factoid is that he also told me in order to accomplish this feat, it would require him to preach 25 to 30 minutes. And so it is quite plausible that we are engaging in something called wishful thinking. Now this morning, I'm, I'm going to preach part one of a two-part series, which is centered upon a biblical theme around this idea of church membership and what that entails. And you must understand that this concept uh, of the modern church as it's sometimes understood as a building with a congregation is somewhat foreign to the biblical church. In fact, there are vast differences between our understanding of the church body and, and even that of a church body across, halfway across the world in foreign nations, let alone the ancient Jewish context. But that does not mean that one has to be inherently right or wrong Rather, in our collective pursuit of Christ and his will for our lives in this world, we are encouraged to be collected one with another. To have fellowship, to be in fellowship with our fellow believers, to assemble, hence we have assemblies, and to be congregated together, hence we have congregations. These Protestant church terms that we may have heard of, uh, such as Christian assemblies or church congregations, are not simple colloquialisms. They're not just cliches that are meant to fill the need for a name of a gathering of believers. No, rather they are rooted in our response to biblical commands that God asserts for his people. That according to Hebrews 10.25, we as believers should not for, for, uh, forsake the fellowship of the saints. Some translations will say the assembling of the saints, as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And how can we exhort one another unless, unless we would have communion one with another? And how can we have communion one with another unless we should assemble? 
But more than just these themes of fellowship and the congregation of believers, as today we celebrate the acceptance of new members into our church body, we recognize that this too is deeply rooted in our understanding of God's will for His people and for His church body as it is written in Romans 12, 4-5. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now there are many things to note here. The first being the aforementioned theme of membership, which seems a little bit foreign to our understanding of what a member would be. That collectively, we each uh, make up the whole of one church body, but just as each of us has a body, we can single out many parts or many members. Now, each body is unique, uh, but on my body, I can look at just my face and count a vast number of parts, many members of the whole though each unique in their own role. A nose for smelling, eyes for seeing, ears for hearing, and a mouth to get me in trouble with my wife. Each playing their role. With each doing their role, I'm able to experience the world around me through my, sense, through my senses. But also each part, each member, coming together to help me fully appreciate the wonders of the world that God has created around me. Without my eyes, I could not see the beauty that he has created. Without my ears, I couldn't hear the chirping of birds. Without my nose, I could not smell the flowers. Without my tongue, I could not taste the foods that he has made. Paul asserts in his letter that the church should resemble a body. Each member playing their part in the function of the entirety of this church body. For if we are the body, then some are the hands that serve the feet that go where they are directed to allow the arms to carry the gospel to those who have need to receive it. And if we are the body, then Christ is the head. As Paul would later assert in his his letter to the Colossians saying, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead so that in him he may have the preeminence. As we submit to God's lordship in our lives and in our ministries, both as individuals and as a congregation, we come together in carrying out Christ's mission. Even as he has passed on from this side of eternity to the next, he continues to do the work of the Father in and through us. His body resurrected, and yet it remains in you and I. That's a kind of cool concept that we are the the literal body of Christ continuing to do the things that Christ did when he was still here with us. Which leads me back to this theme of church membership. You see, we understand this, this concept of membership in a more traditional North American way of thinking that we've grown accustomed to. That when we sign these forms and we give our handshakes and our hugs, we come to be a member defined as a person belonging to a particular group. This is the first definition that is given in the Oxford Dictionary, that a member is just one person belonging to a particular group. Or we can begin to explore the biblical theme of what Paul asserts about what it means to be a member in the church's body, and using this archaic definition, meaning dating back to the times of of ancient Greece and, and, and Jerusalem, rooting back to the time of the early church, which pertained 
uh, a member pertaining not to a single member of a group, but one part of the body. Your finger, a member of your body. Your arm, a, a, a member of your body. Much more accurately, when we sign this form, we are confessing our desire to enter into the local body of believers that assemble here at Lighthouse, which begs the question this sermon will seek to answer today. If I am a part or a member of the body of Christ, what is my role? What is it that I do? If the nose smells and the eyes see and the ears hear, what is my job? How can I honor God and others in this commitment I am making being brought together with this body of believers. Before I break down Paul's illustration, I would first like to employ one of my own. You see, Paul uses the illustration of a body, but perhaps a helpful tool would be to bring it to a format that we are all familiar with. Each of us have a body, but our bodies are all vastly different from one another. Many have hands, but there are amputees. Many have eyes or or ears, uh, but there are those who are deaf and those who are blind. Many have noses, but some, like me, have all but lost their sense of smell while staying in a cabin with three other teenage boys at youth camp. It was hard to, it's hard to believe that uh, my understanding of Paul's teachings would be uh, hindered by copious amounts of Axe body spray. Now, of course, I'm, I'm being facetious, uh, but I would also like to use this, this other illustration on this concept of, of a collective working toward a common goal by leaning on my own experience growing up in, in and around the world of, of competitive team sports. Uh, you see, the most common phrase I think I heard growing up, especially from my father, is the phrase, there is no I in team. Who, who here has heard that term before by show of hands? There is no I in team. Yeah. Essentially, the meaning uh, behind this cliche is that it is important to learn your place on the team and how to use your skills to enable the greatest success for the team. Team chemistry is essential to a team's chances in any given game or championship, but the harmony gets disrupted when the team leans too heavily on just one person's abilities, especially when others feel like they have nothing to contribute because they're not a top performer uh, or, or the team does not give them the chance to excel in their area of expertise. It's always ironic to me when a a league gives the MVP or the most valuable player in a professional sport to someone who comes from a last place team. Certainly they should be rewarding for for being the best player in the league, but were they really the most valuable player to their team's success? In fact, many teams that only have one superstar, when you look at professional sports, end up doing poorly. That superstar may have great stats, they may have all the accolades, they may have all the accomplishments that an individual can earn, but unless the team has good team dynamics and other players are filling their role on the team, they will accomplish nothing. And, in, and so in this way, we can see there is not just one I in team, but many. Team could be spelled T-E-A-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-M, but those I's all have to come together. In the same way, each eye representing an individual member helping to make the whole function optimally, we see this also in the body of Christ. Many eyes, or at least two. Paul uses this illustration of the body, which, as promised, I will explore through the practice of interpreting interpreting the passage exegetically. 
meaning to look at Scripture with an in-depth, critical analysis. This comes from the Greek ex and hegiomai, which when translated literally means to lead out. We are going to look so deep into Scripture that we lead out the meaning that Paul was intending. That by breaking down the wording, the stylistic elements, the, the, uh, the format that the, the passage is written in, is to lead out what Paul records in his letter so we can come to the most accurate interpretation afforded to us of God's will for his church body and for us, each, a member of it. But to keep you from getting bored, I will, also ta- I will not just take my deeply rooted passion for critical analysis of biblical literary styles and, and linguistic elements, but I will also combine it with my innate charm and mastery of comedy. Okay, based on the church's, uh, the congregation's reaction to my last joke, I will, I will forego the comedy and the charm and I'll just dive right into the exegesis. As eager as I am to break down 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 26, the, the passage we will be exploring today, and you can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 26, I would be remiss not to give you the context. If we are going to look exegetically, we must know what came before. What is behind these verses before we exegete it? We learn as we read through Corinthians that Corinth was a very wealthy and socially diverse city. It was much like any big city in in Canada or the United States, with lots of social diversity, much opportunity. Many would travel there for the Olympic-style Isthmian Games and the opportunity to work and to trade. There would be Jews and Greeks in the city as well as people who were slaves or indentured servants and those with an incredible amount of wealth. It looks like the church in Corinth matched their city's diversity. The church also was represented by many, many different types of people. We already know that there were people who had power and wealth and those who were of no regard. There were Jews and Greeks Slave and free. This is important to Paul because the natural tendency of human behavior seems to be to congregate with people who are like you and to not associate with people who are different. Paul helps us to see that the church needs to be different. We are one body with many members, and so it is with Christ. In the process of placing our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ, we were baptized with one spirit and into one body, regardless of our social background, regardless of, of our own personal identity, we begin to take off the self and we identify instead with Christ. This means that the Corinthians were meant to live out their life in a church in the church in a way that was upside down from the culture that was around them. They were to study the Bible and to eat and to drink and to pray with people who were slaves or free, Jews or Greeks, rich and poor, old and young. This was a struggle for them as we begin to see throughout the letter. But their friendships were meant to be different than the world around them in order to reveal the all-encompassing nature of the gospel that was working on, in, and through them. To, re- to transform their sinful nature to that which was like Christ. Someone walking into the Corinthian church during a worship service ideally 
would be confused. They would not understand what was going on because of who was gathered together and how much they're blessing and serving one another. It was intended to jar those and shake them uh, who entered into the church from their pattern of thinking and thusly redirect them towards that which Christ willed for all mankind, to enter into a body collective, not unique uh, in your own way, but, but collectively we each form uh, uh, many individuals with their individual giftings forming a whole. To make this point, Paul uses the illustration of the human body, which is found in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 26, which I will read in its entirety. There is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. We were all baptized by one Holy Spirit, and so we are formed into one body. It didn't matter whether we were Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free people, we were all given the same spirit to drink. So the body is not just made up of one part, it has many parts. Suppose the foot says, I am not a hand, so I do not belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. And suppose the ear says, I am not an eye, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. If all the parts were the same, how could there be a body? As it is, there are many parts, but there is only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. The, hand, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it is just the opposite. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones we can't do without. The parts that we think are less important we treat with special honor. The private parts aren't shown, but they are treated with special care. The parts that, can't be, that can be shown don't need special care. But God has put together all the parts of the body, and he has given more honor to the parts that didn't have any. In that way, the parts of the body will not take sides. All of them will take care of one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part shares in its joy. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. That's verse 27, and it is also true today. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. Now, as I break down this passage verse by verse, word by word, chiastic structure by chiastic structure, I am going to use certain terminologies and tools that may not be as exciting to you as they were to me when I read them and I examined them. But I promise that if you bear with me, it will come to reveal to you a depth of meaning that you will not under, only understand, but hopefully you will begin to grow and identify with into a fully-fledged member of the body of Christ, which is his church. I will begin with verse 12, which can be represented as a chiastic structure. Now, to forgo the big words, uh, which I'm, what I'm attempting to do is to reveal a literary form both common to both the Old and New Testament. It helps us to see a stylistic element that the author employs to draw our attention to certain themes. These are vital for our understanding of any given passage. These literary styles, these structures can be found all over scripture, 
but one that Paul often employs follows a, pi- a pattern known as a chiastic structure, which I will put simply, a literary device that presents a series of ideas and then repeats them in opposite order to draw attention to themselves. So it will draw attention to certain elements by repeating them as a motif, meaning this is an element to pay attention to. It will be very important later. And so this is how he does it, in a style that is A, B, B, A. A, for just as the body is one, B, and has many members, B, all of the members of the body, A, though many are one body. So he's saying the body is one, it is many parts, it is many parts, it is one. This is the classic A-B-B-A structure, not to be confused with the hit Swedish Europop band ABBA. In this understanding, we see that the A and A are parallel to one another, emphasizing the oneness of the body. Likewise, B and B are also uh, parallel, emphasizing the many members of the body. But in a chiastic structure, the center in this example, the B and the B, many members, functions like a bullseye. It is our center point. It is our emphasis, something to pay attention to. This suggests that Paul's primary concern in this text is the variety of members within, rather than the unity of the body. In verses 12 to 13, he sets up his metaphor. He emphasizes the unity of Christ's body. However, beginning with verse 14, he begins to emphasize instead the importance of its many members, their many functions, and the importance of each member functioning at their utmost efficiency. How can we be sure that Paul is being so intentional in his wording and Pastor Joel isn't just making this up? Well, he uses this metaphor of the church as a body with many members elsewhere, like a motif, an element he will return to not just in this passage, but often in his teachings. In Romans 12, uh, 4-7, he uses almost identical language. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching. In 1 Corinthians 6.15, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And in 1 Corinthians 10.17, he says the same thing again, but again he uses a chiastic structure. Because there is one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf of bread. Now in this instance, however, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, he highlights the oneness of the church rather than the individual members by opting for an ABAA style, uh, which unlike the Swedish Europop band, sounds more like the answer to what sound does a sheep make, ABAA or ABBA. It is a good thing that I was called into ministry and not a career in stand-up. So if Paul is emphasizing the individual and their giftings, why does he also, uh, go to such effort to help them understand themselves as a body, a collective, a whole? Well, he chooses his analogy intentionally, or perhaps more accurately, God illuminates this concept to Paul in a, such an intricate way. Because as we know, the human body, 
is an intricate and interconnected wonder. Scientists and biologists are still discovering new wonders about how and why things work the way they do within the human body. There are whole systems in place like the nervous system and respiratory system where different parts of the body and organs interconnect and interact to accomplish specific tasks, often without the knowledge of the brain, at least actively. Each careful design pointing to a glorious and meticulous creator. Paul also draws, draws on this idea to show that the church to show the church that each individual member is needed, each part interconnected and, uh, and intricate, uh, this intricate wonder that is the body of Christ, the church. Each part, each member, when working properly, will build up the body in love, which Paul expresses in Ephesians 4.16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The problem is that the body in the church of Corinth is not working properly. It appears that there are quite a few people in the church who, who competed with one another over their gifts and others who were either undervaluing or overvaluing the contribu contributions that they or others were making. In verse 14, he says, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot would say, because I am not the hand, I am not the, a part of the body. It is therefore not part of the body. If the ear uh, would say, because I am not the eye, I am not the part of uh, the body. It is therefore not part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Verse 14, for the body is not one member but many. Paul uses similar language in Romans 12, 14. In verses 12 to 13, Paul also emphasizes the unity of Christ's body. Now he shifts this emphasis. It looks like I may have repeated myself here. Let me just jump over. Okay. What we begin to see are these Christians who don't feel like they belong in the body. They, they see these more gifted, and they see these left gift, uh, gifted members, and they could be either one. The more visibly gifted people, and I choose the word visibly specifically, what I mean to say is that visibly gifted people could be in reference to the gifts that were more outward focused and more outward facing. Those who served in the sight of those around them, Let's say the preachers, the teachers, the prophetically oriented, those who performed faith healings by the power of God, things that people would see and bask and wonder at. These could have perhaps grown in their disdain having to associate with the ordinary people in their midst who handled the administration of the church, those who partook in the gift of helps to care for the sick, the poor, the widow, Paul is telling us, let us not disdain these people, remembering that without the administration, the church would grow chaotic and it would cease to function altogether. And those who cared for the widow and the orphan, according to James 1.27, were those who were practicing true religion. Regardless of which gifting were represented in this group, those who had become puffed up in their giftings had begun to feel as though they were above the crowd 
but Paul brings them back down to earth by emphasizing the value of all of the body's members. He then goes on to speak to those who are less gifted, those who could feel excluded from full membership by those who seem to be more gifted. They could be tempted to withdraw, thinking that no one needed them. But Paul lifts them up and encourages them and exhorts them on, emphasizing the value of their gifts. However small they may appear on the surface, Paul uses a simple illustration to make the Corinthian church and Christians aware of just how foolish they had been. Some of them might have been people who, who primarily worked with their hands, but they wouldn't want to lose their feet. Others might be more dependent on their feet, say a messenger, but they would not want to lose their hands. Both hands and feet are important. If the ear would say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's, not, it's therefore not part of the body. Which is more important, our eyes or our ears? Many of us would say that our eyes are more important because we could function at a higher level without our hearing than without our sight. But Ray Charles might say different. However, we really need both hearing and sight to function at our best. Both ears and eyes are important. We would not want to lose either. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? Now Paul uses humor to mock those who prize their important gift. He pictures a person who is just an eye, a cartoonish character uh, more at home on a children's TV show than, than uh, in the church. How could this person hear if they were only an eye? For that matter, how could such a person move from place to eat, place to place, eat, earn a living? An eye standing by itself would be helpless and pitiful. Then he portrays the body as a big ear, another cartoonish figure. Sure, the, the ear could hear, but what else could it do? It could not smell, it could not see, it could do nothing but hear, and it too would be helpless and pitiful. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. The great architect, he had a purpose in mind when he designed the body accordingly both our physical bodies and the church body. We might think that, that we could have done it better, but who are we to question the one who designed all of creation? God would respond as he did to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Who determined its measures, if you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Then we would have to respond as Job did. Therefore I have uttered that which I did not understand, Things too wonderful for me, which I didn't know. Paul begins to address the tendency of others to undervalue your place in the body in verses 15 to 20. Just because you're not a foot and not a hand does not mean you're not essential to the body. God has arranged the parts. The one who created all of creation and did so specifically has also placed you with your specific giftings, your specific talents, your desires, your wants. Every purpose that you are set out for was made by the God of all creation, intricate and intentional. Can you imagine being at a church where everyone had the same gifts, the same strengths and same weaknesses that you had? It sounds boring, it sounds limited, and quite frankly, I would strangle myself. Likewise, what about being at a church where everyone has the same gift of teaching, but no one has the gift of hospitality? 
Or how about a church with the gift of administration, but no one has the gift of leadership? These gifts are all essential, and they really only flourish when complemented by other gifts that the Lord apportions. This means that even in, uh, if our world's culture devalues the types of gifts that you have, the Lord sees them as so essential that he gave them to you by the Spirit to be used in the church. What about those who take pride in their gifts and overvalue their contribution to the church? Paul addresses this problem in verse 21 and following where he says of, of one part of the body saying to another, I have no need of you. The Corinthians would rank certain gifts as, as being better than others and therefore more indispensable in their own mind. And Paul is saying to them, if you really knew which gifts were indispensable, you would not be boasting. There are parts of the human body you cannot live without, and they're typically weaker or hidden parts of the body, not the ones that you bestow a lot of honor for. You may compliment someone about having a great arm in football or, or nice hair, but you never tell somebody, hey, you know what, Clarence, I think you got great white blood cells, man. Yeah, yeah. And how about the lungs on Daniel, right? No, it's strange. Some parts of the body get praised more than others, uh, but all are essential. And if you were missing some of these weaker, less honorable parts, you'd notice and be unable to continue what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So it is with the body of Christ. So it is with the church. And when we recognize this truth, unity is built up. Paul's goal here is to not give us an, a theology of the human body. Rather, he desires earnestly for love to exist at a greater level in the church. And the example he gives is that we'd care for one another. That we would care for one another and we would rejoice with those who rejoice and suffer with those who are suffering. Knowing your place in the body and doing so with humility leads not to boasting, but unity and love in the family of faith. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now they are many members, but one body. These verses that, that he begins to say recapitulate the, the case that, that Paul has made in verses 15 to 18, and he goes on to say, when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or when one is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If someone says, you have really beautiful eyes, or, or they tell you, you're so smart, you're so intelligent, you don't just feel good in your eyes, you don't just feel good in your brain, you get butterflies all over. You begin to get uh, th these, these, this feeling of, of this rush of endorphins. You might get a little flush in the face, uh, as, as redness grows over your cheeks. The whole body rejoices when we receive a compliment. And so it should be when members of the body are honored. Once again, we should be in sympathy, able to feel together with the person that has been honored. The joy uh, that he or she is experiencing should also be experienced by us. Their joy should be our joy, and their pain should be our pain. If not... We are out of sync with God's plan and need to pray for God to reorient our thinking and our feeling. 
this brings to mind the word envy. In Greek, it is phthonos. Envy is one of the sins of ungodly and wicked people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, according to Romans 1.18 and 29. It is one of the works of the flesh, says Galatians 5.19 and 21. It is one of the products of false teaching, says 1 Timothy 6, 2 and 4. Paul uh, calls us to rid ourselves of all wickedness, of all deceit, of all hypocrisies, envies, and evil speaking in 1 Peter 2, 1. When we begin to grow envious of one another, another member of our own body, we recognize that our body is not thriving. That when we see our brother or sister thriving in their gift, we must begin to recognize that all of heaven is the victor. It is not one individual who is exalted, but it is Christ who is exalted in and through them. The real victor is the kingdom of heaven, which we are all in service to. When we grow envious of one another, we suppress the truth that it is not our brother or sister who is exalted. It is Christ who is being lifted up to those around them, that when people see the the ministry that is functioning in Daniel, functioning in his gift of evangelism, we recognize that people are being saved and the kingdom is being expanded. And so thank you, Daniel, for all of the faith that you have had uh, in in the planning of this evangelistic event and and all of the events that you plan. John functioning for for our gifts uh, of of music and and ensuring that God is worshipped, that brings glory to God. When I look around this room, I see so many giftings and so many talents and so many people functioning within them that I know God is smiling because he is being lifted up in each one. Envy is the opposite of the feeling that God wants us to have when another member of our body has cause to rejoice. Sadly, we sometimes do feel envious when someone else gets the promotion or or the choir director chooses someone else to sing the solo. Or the coach tells you, tells you you have no other choice than to be a setter because you're five foot eight and you can't spike the ball half as well as the six foot eight Danish foreign exchange student. Jealousy is not an emotion that God designed us to display. It is a product of the fall of man, the first sin born of Cain against his brother Abel. It is not in accord with God's will. Rather, God calls us to share in each other's suffering and rejoicing. Why? Because they are our suffering. They are our rejoicing. After all, we are one body made to complement one another's giftings, intended to exhort one another and spur one another on to the finish line. What is your role within the body of Christ as a new member? Those who who will be signing the forms and joining today? And what is your role as a long-time member, someone who remembers signing those forms 20, 30 years ago? To excel in your giftings, to honor God and others, and to build one another up in their giftings so that Christ may be exalted all the more in them as well. It is not about being exalted or, or puffed up or lifted up in yourself. It is about seeing that others and God are exalted through what you are doing. Whichever end of the spectrum you may find yourself on today, perhaps you are feeling too proud in your own ways. You need to grow in your ability to honor and support each part or member or body 
uh, or of the body of Christ. There is room for each one to grow. As one of my favorite verses in Romans 12:10 says, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. It's such a biblical theme of submission that if two individuals find themselves in loving submission one to another, both seeking to outdo the other in honor as though they are competing in who can lift the other up more, we begin to realize that we are only spurring one another on further and further in their pursuit of Christ. As iron sharpens iron, we lift one another up until we reach the finish line, until we reach the heavens. Or perhaps you find yourself on the other side of the spectrum, recognizing that you have scorned the gifts that God has given you. Perhaps you have believed yourself to be insufficient to God's great purposes. I assure you that when you are not functioning at the capacity that God has called you to, the body is taking notice. The body notices when you are not there, when you are not doing what it is that you are intended to do. And while it may fall, fall uh, short or somebody may not recognize around you, I can assure you that, that the head does, the head being Christ, knowing what he has designed you for, what he has knit you together intentionally and specifically to do. When you are not doing these things, it is the kingdom that misses out. For when even the, the, the pinky finger, the smallest member of the hand, is plagued with a paper cut, the pain can be crippling to the function of the whole hand. It's true. When you hurt the body, or when you hurt, the body takes notice and it hurts with you. You ever had a paper cut and you try to do a simple function like writing? Even if it's on your pinky finger, for whatever reason, the gripping, it just hurts. And the rest of the members suffer because you are suffering. And they suffer with you. And in the same way, when you rejoice and you are glorying in God, I look around the room when I worship and I listen to the, the, to the voices, to the choir that are lifting up praises to God. And it inspires me to worship God more. There's nothing better than, than to hear all of the saints worshiping God together. It inspires me to worship even more. So when you hurt, the body hurts with you. When you rejoice, the body takes note and rejoices with you. And in the same way, when you are not functioning, no matter how small your gifting may be, the body takes notice and lacks what you provide. Thus, God calls you to step out in your specific gifting or your specific giftings, no matter how small for with faith as small as the size of a mustard seed, we are told that we can command the mountain to move. And I believe also that with a gift, no matter how small, when offered up in faith to the Lord of, of all creation, we can aid in the moving of a kingdom. Do not scorn the gifts you have been given or those you have not, remembering it was the gift of the God of all creation who placed it upon you carefully and specifically for a magnificent and ordained purpose. And as you in membership, one unto the whole, each doing their part, each building one another up, Scripture promise, promises not only that we can, but that we will impact the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. That when Jesus departed, he said, greater things will you do in the world than I have. Because collectively, we can reach far further 
than Christ could in his physical body, that we are reaching nations, that we are reaching the, the lost in, in, in our home. Uh, we are reaching the lost in the streets. We are reaching the lost who have not heard of Christ yet. Let us all seek to fulfill our callings individually as unique members of the body, but also collectively as the assembled whole of Christ's church, each submitting one to another, and ultimately collectively for God's will for his people. And I believe that each member from the newest, who we will welcome this morning, to the oldest, we will impact eternity. We will exhort and love one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Amen? Amen. It's at this time I'm going to welcome those who are being accepted uh, for church membership. Uh, I'll have Pastor Dave and Clarence, if you could also come to the front uh, as we welcome uh, these, these, the new members uh, of our church. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Hey, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. Just want you to know you can find full live stream services on our website, lighthouseniagara.com.